How's everybody doing? Good. So I'm filling in today for Dr. Moody. He's here. Uh, He and his family had kind of an accident with one of their horses yesterday, and so be praying for them. Uh, They're they're good, uh, but the the horse is kind of uh, injured, and, and that's uh, that's a big deal. So be praying for them. So uh, they were in Lafayette yesterday and got back real late tonight. So he asked me to fill in, which is is good. I was going to be sharing with you guys anyway a little bit um, about kind of uh, give a little bit different perspective, I guess. Um, I, I want to say this before I talk about our family and what's going on, but is I realize that we're not unique, uh, and I'm not asking for extra sympathy or anything like that. But I, I just wanted you to hear from one of uh, our church staff members about what uh, maybe a little bit different perspective because our home flooded. Uh, like many people, I look around here and I see you, and, and we're locking eyes. I know you, you're with me, and so um, I just wanted to maybe kind of verbalize a little bit. Just we were talking a lot this week at the office, and uh, and we're, we've been you know, out in people's homes every day, uh, looking at homes and spraying homes and cleaning homes. And, uh, and, and so just have a lot of time to kind of reflect and talk about what's going on. And, um, and so Chris asked me if I would share kind of our story a little bit. And so I'm going to try to do that. Uh, it's kind of hard, uh, as you can imagine, but, uh, anyway, so if I make a joke, just realize I'm just trying not to cry. Um, so, um, but we live in Pinewood out in Sour Lake and in our neighborhood, every single home flooded. And many of you live in a neighborhood just like that, in Vider and Orange and Lumberton, and uh, that everywhere you go, you just uh, you go into a neighborhood now with just debris piles on both sides of the street. And so um, that's kind of our story. Um, we live in a home that's never flooded. Uh, I've heard that said so many times, it makes me ill in the last few weeks. Um, but uh, we, we evacuated, and uh, we had to come... Uh, into Beaumont, and, uh, and graciously, some church families opened their home to us, and uh, that's a big deal when you have two little kids, because they're never quiet, um, and uh, they eat a lot, and you know, all that kind of stuff, but um, we, we kind of just were on this this journey, and um, we stayed in, in one home for a while, and everything was going great, and all of a sudden, there's a big power outage, uh, and nobody had lights for days and weeks. And so we, uh, by this time, we kind of have a little, uh, a band of, there was three families that were kind of all banded together. And so we moved to another church family's home where they had power and water. And then uh, lo and behold, the water went away. Uh, and you thought it was bad when we didn't have power, but when you don't have water, that's worse, right? You know, I never thought of it, but that's way worse. Um, and, and so we, we made it, we survived. We, we actually ate pretty good because everybody was emptying their fridge, you know, freezers. We had shrimp and steak and everything that was saved over, we were eating it. Um, but it was still very, very difficult because we had nowhere to go. And even the, even the Freemans who opened their home to us, they couldn't even stay in their home. Uh, there's Cindy. Uh, and, and, and so it was like you had three homeless families just kind of not, and then we didn't know what our home looked like. We didn't know what was going on. And so there's just lots and lots of questions. And um, for the most part, I have very fond memories. It was actually kind of enjoyable and, and, and I hate to even say fun, uh, but we were like just hot house to house to house. Um, but one, I mean, probably the most sobering moment for me was um, tucking the kids in at night. My daughter asked me, daddy, are we going to sleep in this house t- tomorrow night too? And I honestly didn't know the answer. I had to say, I don't know. We may not. We may, because <laughs> we didn't know, you know. Um, and 
Uh, and so during that time, it was sort of like survival mode where you're, you're like, okay, what do we got to do? How do we get out? How, how can we take care of everybody? And I was still, still trying to be helper and, and kind of pastor at the same time and try to take care of my family. And finally we got out and, and everybody made it through and we went to Jamie's parents' house. And then kind of all that, I guess, survival mechanisms that I had going on and taking care of people and, and all that went away and it just became real, I guess. Uh, and I would just start crying for no reason. And I'm not that kind of person most of the time. I'd just be sitting in the car and, I, and I'd just start crying uh, because I, you know, and my stuff's not even that cool at home. So it's not like I lost all this cool stuff. Uh, we have like a 10-year-old couch. I mean, you know, uh, we don't have uh, the fanciest furniture or cars or anything. And, and, but at the same time, it was like your home is the place that you feel the most secure in the place that you are the most loved and cared for. And any problems you have, they sort of get better if you're at home, right? Uh, and when that's gone, man, it's, it's like, well, where do I go? Uh, and for us, obviously, and I, you may be here today because uh, a disaster has hit you, and maybe, maybe somebody from our church family was at your home cleaning your house out, and you're here because of that. Uh, and, and that's great. But for me, just it was that idea that despite having nothing, everything that I owned was in a bag this big at the time. That's, that's not an exaggeration for our whole family. We had four bags. That was it. Uh, and one old work truck that I drive. So, uh, and that was it. The good car had to stay behind because it wouldn't make it through the water. But um, I still felt like I had what I needed. And I still honestly felt like I had everything I needed. Not like I was limping by, but because of my faith in Christ and because of the support of church family, I was okay. Um, all the stuff can be rebuilt. All the things can be, I will have a feeling of home again and safety and security. Um, that's that's going to come again. But in my soul, I never felt abandoned. In my heart, I never was discouraged. Um, my emotions got me sometimes, but deep down, it was okay. Um, and I just kept reading every day, Matthew 11. You may have to read it on your own. I don't think I can say it. But uh, Matthew 11, 28, 29. I memorized these verses in seminary um, and just never dreamed what they would actually mean to me in a time of great loss and great hurt. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And that's not just the people that have been flooded out of their house either, by the way. Some of you have spent 80 to 90 to 100 hours at the refinery getting it back online. You're weary too. Some of you have been working at the church 10 to 12 hours a day to help others. You're weary too. Some of you have been in your mom's or your sister's or your aunt's or your neighbor's homes doing things you never wanted to do in your life. You're weary too. It's not just for those who are directly affected because really you're all directly affected. When something like this happens, not, no one's exempt. There's, nobody, there's no ivory tower in this area right now, right? Everybody's in this. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, I never had a sleepless night through this process. Every night when I laid my head down, I went to sleep. I could find rest even in the most unrestful, 
traumatic situation, the hardest week of my life, because of Christ, I could still have rest. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus knows what it means to have possessions that fit in one bag. That's what his whole adult life was. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I was thinking while we were worshiping the, the verse, and I couldn't put a number to it because I was sort of emotional singing, but that the, the God inhabits the praises of his people. And there was a lot of broken hearts that were praising the Lord recently, just five minutes ago, ten minutes ago. And that's okay. If that's all you got, that's okay because God, if he inhabits that, then where you're weak and where you're broken, he is filling that gap. And that's the same in your life. Where you're weak and where you're broken, that, that God is there to become strong in those, in, those, in those days. And I had a friend whose sister died a couple years ago on the mission field. Their, their whole family are missionaries. Their grandparents, they all work with the IMB, and they all are missionaries. And their sister died in a Middle Eastern country, mainly because she couldn't get to normal health care. And I was just praying with them and talking with them. My friend told me, you know, I have enough grace to get through today. And then tomorrow when I wake up, I'll have enough grace to get through that day. And I have walked that. And I think most of you have walked that as well. Is that those, that, that mercy is new in the morning. Uh, and, it, and it's good. And it's okay to cry and it's okay to hurt. Because we all are hurting. Uh, and I've cried more than I want to cry. I've been angry at times. I've asked questions. All that's fine. But at the, the bottom of it, what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms come and when the winds blow, uh, he will not be shaken. That's what it means to me to have faith in Christ in the midst of turmoil. Uh, and so, anyway, that's what I was going to share with you earlier. Now I get to share a little bit more. So if you got your Bibles, let's turn to John 11. Hopefully this is a little more lighthearted. I don't know, God kind of said, you know, there's a lot of folks around here in need of resurrection power. Um, and, and not just resurrecting walls in their own home, that's definitely necessary. But I think the greater need is the resurrection in people's soul, and in their heart, and in their life. Uh, Somehow, this, uh, I believe, is, one of the, is going to be one of the most monumental moves of God that we've ever seen in this area. I, I believe that. Whenever I go out to turn left on 105 on Saturday morning when I'm leading teams out there, there's eight or nine church vans in front of me from Virginia, Kentucky, Arkansas, New Mexico, Nevada. You see the license plates. The church is rising up in a way that is unprecedented, to, at least in my life. I wasn't, I mean, I was, I lived here during Rita and the other storms. I've never seen the church more unified and more doing what the church needs to be doing than it is now. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. There, you name a church, they're out there serving, right? And the ones that aren't, I think, will, will dissolve and go away. Uh, just, just a, that's my opinion. Um, but, but the, when I say the church, that's what JP was talking about, not just First Baptist Beaumont, but the church of Jesus Christ is out there helping and meeting needs. And I think we're going to see something big here. So let's read this. Uh, I love this story. Jesus raising Lazarus uh, 
um, from, the, from the grave, right? John 11.1. 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. We've known these characters earlier in, in the Bible. Um, Martha was hosting, Mary and Martha were hosting Jesus and the disciples at their home. Martha was busy cleaning, wanted to make everything you know, look good. She was serving, and Mary took a break, broke some oil, some, some perfume, and washed Jesus' feet with her hair. We remember this. We, we washed Jesus' feet. Uh, and so we've, we know this family. We know that Jesus was intimately uh, loved them. It's going to tell us that Jesus loved their family. Uh, and so these are friends of his, okay? And so Bethany is a village. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. Uh, and Jesus and his followers are in a, a village about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Earlier, Jesus had gone into Jerusalem, had done some things, and said some things that angered the religious officials and had gotten almost gotten stoned and had to be escorted out of the city. So he's sort of going into hiding, and now he's, they're, they're trying to beckon him back into that, that storm. Verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus is a day's journey away from this city. So they send a messenger the message at the time was Lazarus was ill, right? 20 miles, that's a day's journey at least. When he gets there, he hears that the message that, this, that Lazarus is ill. We're going to find out later that when Jesus finally gets there, there's a four-day break. So what's, what that's telling us is that Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus heard this message. All right? When Jesus heard the message, Lazarus was probably already dead. He's probably already in the tomb. All right, when Jesus said this, this illness does not lead to death. That's a weird thing to say since Lazarus is already dead. Now, Jesus probably knows that, right? He kind of can know things that other people can't know. He's so in tune with the Father uh, and that, that he knows these things. How does he know this illness doesn't lead to death? It's because he's God's son. He's one with God, right? The Bible tells us early in the morning Jesus would rise. It was his custom to go outside of the city and pray and to spend time with God. You know, he, did, he did that. He was in tune with God. All right? He said, instead, it was for the glory of God. This is, a, this is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. That this, this illness... Imagine your brother on his deathbed is for the glory of God. Can you imagine getting that message back? The messenger said, okay, I told Jesus what you said. He said that he's not going to lead to death. By the way, Lazarus is already dead. But this is for the glory of God. Mary and Martha were like, we should have called 911 instead. I mean, I don't know what Jesus is doing. We could have called the hospital or somebody else. But I, I kind of thought Jesus was going to do something great. And by the way, Jesus has already done all kind of stuff. In the Gospel of John, there's seven miracles or signs that are, that are talked about, you know, turning uh, vases of water into wine at a wedding feast that became the, the, the finest vintage that they served there. Uh, Jesus had fed 5,000 people with a small boy's lunch. He had walked on water across a lake and caught up to his disciples. He had spoken a word and healed a, uh, a, a, a person's child, 
from miles away. He had just spoken someone into healing. He had spit into the dirt and rubbed and made mud and rubbed it on a blind man's eyes. And then he went into uh, uh, the pool of Siloam and washed it off. And he had seen. So obviously they knew Jesus could do this. They knew that if they went to Jesus, they could get the result they were seeking. But instead he says, yeah, this illness is not going to lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I bet there's a lot of questions here. I bet there were questions like, well, if Jesus loved Lazarus so much, why did he even let him get sick? If I loved somebody, I would do anything I could do to protect them from illness, right? Right? That's questions we ask. Or, you know, uh, later on we're going to read here, instead of Jesus running right there, he says, we're going to hang out for two days, and then we're going to go, and then we're going to go see Lazarus. They're like, well, why did he delay? All right, if, if we're going to read here in a minute, he, he delayed for two days. Why did he do that? God, I've been praying to you for years. Why? Lord, I prayed for 24 hours that you wouldn't allow my home to flood. Why would you let it happen? If you loved us so much, why would you send a hurricane anyway? Why, why are there hurricanes? Why are there earthquakes? Why are these things real? You see, these, these questions are real. You know, a guy I went to high school with died two days ago, 37 years old, he's gone. Why do these things happen? These are not new questions. These have been asked throughout the entirety of Scripture. All right? They ask, why couldn't you just heal him like you did that other guy? You know, that, remember that sick child that was dying? You just said, they're healed. And by the time you got there, the messenger met you halfway and said, they're healed. Jesus knew he can do that. Why didn't he do that? You see, Jesus doesn't play by our playbook. God doesn't play by our needs, right? Why did he do it the way he did? It was for the glory of God. He laid it out there, all right? Our comfort is not the pivotal point of the universe, right? And I've learned that the hard way, to be honest with you. Um, but our comfort is not, is not the apex of our life. It's instead God's glory, if we're to be a follower of Christ, then God's glory is what we're to be seeking. And I had a, I had a professor once that said, if I, if, if I had cancer when I get older, and I knew that God would receive more glory from me dying than being healed, then I would want to die. And I thought, that is an insane statement at the time, right? I'm like, you, don't, you want to die? But I understand that a little bit better now. If by losing my home... God, in, in losing my furniture and my baby pictures and all that stuff, if by losing all that to a flood, God receives more glory, then I'm okay with that. And I can say that to you when maybe somebody else couldn't. But if that's, if that, that's where we need to be. Because really in my life, God will probably get more glory because I lost a home to a flood than if I just had a comfortable life the rest of my life. And the truth is that spiritual greatness is often, uh, and not often, every time I've seen it in the Bible, is accompanied by great suffering and great pain. Think about it real quick. Name one person in the Bible who, who is a great person in your mind that didn't experience great suffering. Anybody? No, there's not anybody. I, 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 I spent some time trying to figure that out because I didn't want to sound stupid. And somebody say, well, actually, uh, but um, there's not one. Think of Moses. Think of Abraham, think of Isaac, think of Joseph, think of Esther, think of Ruth, think of uh, Jesus, 
obviously, is the, is the perfect example of, of suffering. Uh, and I guess that, that idea of love and suffering is something that's unique uh, to the love of God is that the love of God is not a pampering love where there's like satin pillows and little fat babies that are angels kind of all around. That's not, uh, that's not the love of God. That's Hallmark, okay? That's Valentine's Day. Um, but that's not the love of God. You see, it's not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. A perfecting love is when you're potty training your child and you put them in, in big girl undies or panties for the first time, you let them get wet a little bit. You let them have an accident. Why? Because they will learn from that accident and they will go start going in the potty. That's the youth pastor illustration, okay, for the day. Um, that's what you get. But that's so true. Why has God allowed us to walk through this? Because the rest of our lives we can bring glory to his name. Because we can help others who are going to go through tragedy because we know what that feels like. So that we have the opportunity, I have had the opportunity to share God more in the last two weeks than I have in the last year. That is the truth. Every one of my neighbors that was a hermit that went inside their house and never wanted to talk to me is my best friend now. I'm not kidding you. One of my neighbors, I, I literally never spoke to them until after the hurricane. We speak on the phone just about every day now. This is the truth. God can receive glory out of rubble and ashes. He has done it in our lives, and he can do it right now in our community. He's doing it, I should say. We had about 75 missionaries staying in our church building over the weekend, just going out. We demoed about 10 homes. That's like a city block. Imagine a block of your neighborhood, uh, people of, of, of God's people, and then about 20 or 30 that are, that are from our faith family went out and just renovated a city block yesterday. You don't think that people are taking notice of that? They are. Another one of my neighbors said to me, you know, the church groups that are out here working, they're the ones doing the best work. Can you believe that? Take that red cross, you know. <laughs> We've got the wooden cross, man. Come on. Uh, but I just thought, man, that is so awesome. That's incredible that the church is the one doing the finest work in the roughest and worst situation. I read an article in the Washington Post, obviously not a pro-Christian newspaper, okay, not at all, saying that the vast majority of all relief work being done in Houston, Rockport, Beaumont, Lake Charles, Florida, you name it, is done by faith-based Christian organizations and churches. All right, and Chris said it last week, you know, the celebrities, J.J. Watt did some awesome stuff, but in a couple weeks he won't be, he won't be helping anymore. FEMA, they're going to, when the next disaster happens, they're going to go somewhere else. But church youth groups and God's people will be here working until the job is done. Right? And that's, that's the truth. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to go there again? It's crazy. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus is trying to be nice, trying to sugarcoat it for the disciples here. Uh, he's fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, 
This is what my kids do. I try to say something to, to kind of be kind or to kind of, uh, to, 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 you know, kind of take the rough edges off something. Uh, and they're like, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, they, they question. Like my father-in-law was, uh, my daughter was asking my father-in-law about his mother. Who's your mother, Pops? And he didn't want, he was trying not to say that she had passed away. And Hannah just looked right at him and said, is she dead and he's like, yep. <laughs> so that's what these disciples are doing here. All right. So he's trying to, he's trying to teach them, but the disciples are kind of blunt tools, right? They, 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 they just really are at the surface level most of the time. Um, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. You'll just wake up. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. For your sake, Jesus waited two days for two reasons, for God's glory and for the sake of his disciples. He's trying to disciple them. You realize that? He's training them to say, look, I could have gone and healed him instantly. You've already seen me do that, but I want you to understand my power is a little bit more significant than that. Four days is nothing, four days in a tomb is nothing compared to God's power, right? Six feet of water is nothing compared to God's power. And that, that's, that's, I'm saying that to you with a hurting heart. Lost belongings is nothing compared to God's power. You know, I mean, ugh. the first people who showed up at my house were people from my home group. You know that? When I got there, my home group was waiting on me to help me, okay? God is bigger than this storm. He is. I had friends drove, driving in from Houston. I had a friend who drove in uh, that worked in the mornings at his mom's house on his computer. In the afternoons, he was at my house for a solid week, all right? And there's story after story after story like this. God's bigger than this, but also God's in this. God's here. He, want, he wants more glory. He deserves more glory. And let's give it to him. All right? So Thomas, even Thomas, we always call him Doubting Thomas, but here he's kind of a, uh, has a good mark. He, has, he gets a gold star this time. Uh, Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's like, he's realizing that Jesus going back to heal Lazarus is probably going to get arrested and may die. He's like, you know what? Let's go, road trip. Pack a bag, we're going, Okay. Later on, he doubts about the resurrection, but actually Thomas does something good right here. All right? Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, 17, had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary or Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. You see a trend there. They had different personalities. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't think she's accusing here. I don't want to say she's wagging a finger at Jesus. I don't think that. I think it's because she really believed that Jesus could have healed him. She'd seen him do that. All right? She's just stating the truth. Lord, if you'd have been here, this might not have happened. Okay? But dealing with ifs is a dangerous situation, right? None of us can deal with ifs right now. We just have to look forward. We can't say if because you will never heal that way. And this is not just with a storm. This is anything in your life. You cannot live your life looking backwards because you're always going to stumble. 
If you try to walk out of that door and look back, you're going to run into somebody. You're going to stumble. And you have to look forward. All right? Whether that's you're breaking a cycle of addiction or a ruined marriage or a ruined home or whatever, you have to look forward. And to walk with Jesus, you cannot look back. You must look forward. All right? What verse was it on? Anybody remember? 22, thanks, man. But even how I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha, you have to realize, had a black belt in Awana scripture memory, okay? So she, uh, at the end of the year, they just, you know, gave her the, uh, she became, she graduated sixth grade, became Awana commander immediately, okay? So she knew her, she knew her theology. So she comes back to Jesus with the, a theological answer here. She says, um, Martha said to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, the Jews had taught that at the end of days that there would be a resurrection of the dead, that there would be a bodily resurrection of the dead. So this idea of someone coming back to, to life is not a new concept. However, it is a future concept. It is like, in the future, this will happen. At the end of days, this will happen. There will be a bodily resurrection from the dead. But Jesus is about to shift that paradigm, and he's about to, about to change that. And he says this, 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus said, look, what you're looking for in the future is here now. He said, the resurrection that you're wanting to see with Lazarus, it's about to happen right now. And not only that he walks out of the tomb, but there's more to it than that. There's a resurrection of your heart and a resurrection of your soul that comes with a relationship with Jesus that most of us in this room probably could attest to. That when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that Jesus is the personification of that resurrection. When we look at Lazarus' tomb in a few minutes, we're going to see it had a stone in front of it, that he was wrapped in grave clothes, and at the end he walked out and removed those grave clothes. And just a few weeks later, Jesus would do the same exact thing under his own power. They would bury him behind a boulder, they would wrap him with, with, with burial cloths, and he would walk out of that tomb. So when he says, I am the resurrection, he's so closely, he is not just the cause of resurrection, that he is the resurrection. And if you want to experience that in your life, it only comes through Jesus Christ. We can go in and resurrect the walls of your home. We can do that. We're going to do that. But only Jesus can resurrect the walls of your heart. I believe that with everything in my, in my being. If you're here searching or seeking, that is the truth. That's the essence of who we are here is that Jesus can rebuild your life. And we want to get alongside you and help with that. Okay. Do you believe this? That's a question we all have to answer. Whoever believes in me will never experience death. She said to him, this is, and this is the answer, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are coming into the world. Your resurrection is here. You were going, she didn't know about the cross yet, right? She just knew what was revealed to her. We have a different perspective. We know the work of, of, of Christ. We know that God's son had laid his life down on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could experience that resurrection 
now and in eternity. When Jesus returns, the Bible tells us the dead in Christ will rise first and meet him in the air, right? But that's not the first resurrection. The first is what happens when your spirit and your soul come to life, when God puts his spirit in your life. It's called regeneration. It's a big, big church word there is what that's all about. All right, let's skip ahead. We're going to skip Mary's part just for time's sake. Most famous verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Everyone's memorized it in youth group. We know that, okay. Uh, and, uh, but the reason he wept is because he loved this family, and they were hurting. And m- many of you can, can get that. You've been with your family that's hurting, and you wept with them. You see, Jesus was not some, uh, some godlike robot that walked. He was a man. He was like me and you. And when his friend died and he saw his sisters mourning and wailing, then he joined with them. We have an opportunity to join with people in their hurt. You can never, have a, you can never meet somebody uh, in a better way than just to meet them where they're hurting, to meet them where they are. That's how you know who loves you, is who will meet you in your mess. And most of us have had people who met us in our mess lately, and we know that we're loved. All right, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, remember Martha said she was like this theologian, right? She, she, she called for Jesus first. She went out to meet him. She said, I know you can heal him. I know that you're God's son, you're, that you're sent, you're the Messiah. But then she has a little bit of a oops here. <laughs> Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. So Martha, the hero of the story so far, she's going good, she believes, she's seeking Jesus. All of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. That body's going to smell bad when you open that. I don't think this is a good idea, Jesus. Can you maybe heal before we remove the tomb? Okay, and and so, but I want to, I say that to you because that's exactly how we are. A lot of times, I love you, Lord. I, I want to serve you. I'm going to share the gospel with you. Oh, I got, did this. Oh, doubt slipped in. Oh, I worried about someone else's opinion for a minute. Okay? But Jesus redeems her here. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He prayed there so the people would know that this, this authority, this power is from God. If you go into someone's home and work with them, the most impactful thing you do is not tear the walls down. It's to stop and pray with those people. And you want to know why we do it? That's exactly why. So they know that the love that we're showing them is not from us, but it's from God that we love because Jesus loved us first. And that's why we stop and pray for someone. And having had people in my home to work in my own home, the most important thing they did that day was to stop and pray with me. The, the gnarliest, gruffest worker on that crew was weeping that day when we prayed. And that's, man, that's why we do that. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 42, I, know, I knew that you were always hearing me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
I read of a Puritan writer that said, if he hadn't have said Lazarus, if he just said come out, the entire graveyard would have emptied. Uh, and I thought, man, that would have been cool. Uh, but, uh, but he didn't. He called Lazarus by his name. He was his friend. He wanted him to know that it was his voice, right? Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. He wasn't able to untie his burial wrappings. His hands and feet were tied with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I wonder if people were like, is that Lazarus? I can't tell. What's he saying? I think he's saying, get this off my face. I can't breathe. Uh, but once they unwrapped him, they saw that it was Lazarus. And the crazy thing is, in chapter 12, he wasn't like a, like a half-life or a zombie or something like that. So don't get that idea. There's no walking dead kind of deal going on. In chapter 12, there's a big party going down. And Jesus is, is like the, the host of this dinner party. And by the way, Lazarus is sitting right beside him at the party eating. So Lazarus just got to celebrity status real quick. Lazarus walks in the party, and they're like, man, that dude was in the grave for four days. I want to go sit by him. All right? And, and so I want you to learn something from this. Lazarus' resurrection is not only a precursor to Jesus' resurrection, but it's also a symbol of what goes on in our life when we give our life to Christ. Number one, Lazarus was dead. Just to prove a point, there was no doubters. You couldn't say that Lazarus just hid in the tomb for a few hours. He was in there for four days. Okay? He would have, if he wasn't dead when he went in there, he would have really died in there. Okay? So there was no question the guy was dead. And the same can be said of us. The Bible tells us that we are all dead in our sins and our trespasses against God. Our heart's still beating. We're still moving. We're still doing stuff. But our soul, our heart, you know, the Bible calls that a heart of stone. And that we, when we give our life to Christ, that we're given a heart of flesh. In the book of Ezekiel is what he's talking about. Given, taking away that heart of stone and given that heart of flesh. Right? We're all dead in our sin, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can have life because of that forgiveness. You know, Lazarus was dead. And there's not really varying degrees of death, right? There's dead and alive. You can't say, well, he's dead but he's really dead, okay? That doesn't, there's, no, there's no scale there. You're either dead or alive. The difference, as you can say, is Lazarus was dead four days. This body was dead for two years. The decay is going to be different, right? They're just kind of worried about an odor with Lazarus. And the truth is that's the same in our life, that while we're all dead in our sin, that maybe you have 40 years of decay built up. Maybe you've been in an addiction for 20 years and you never told anybody that the decay in your life, maybe we can't even, we can't even notice. All right? But that didn't matter. When Lazarus came out, you didn't say, hey, they didn't go hug him because he smelled bad. Right? That was taken care of too. Heart beating, lungs breathing, decay gone, their brother was back. When we give your life to Christ, not only are you brought to new life, but the decay and the rot in your life is purged out. Jesus, in the last moments of his life, said, it is finished. And he's talking about the work that he came to do, to bring new life. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, this part of your life is good and the rest of it is not. It means that no matter what you've done, where you've lived, who you've been with, who you haven't been with, whatever you've done in the past matters not because Jesus said, it is finished. All right? Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
just like we can be raised from the dead. He walked out of the graveyard. We can walk out of the graveyard of sin through Christ. Lazarus was cut free from the grave cloths. I love this imagery, right? Whenever they, they went into Jesus' tomb, what did they find? They found his grave cloths laid uh, on the tomb. It was folded up neatly. I always thought that was kind of cool. There's some symbolism there as well. But, but his, the Bible says his hands were bound, his feet were bound, his face was covered. When you give your life to Christ, your hands are free to do good and not chained to do bad. A lot of times, uh, when, when, we're, when we're not, we haven't given our life to Christ, then our hands are sort of bound. It's hard for us to do good because all we want to do is do the things that we want to do. We want to serve self. When Christ set me free, my hands were free to go and help others. Part of my, my deal was selfishness. I didn't care about other people. But what Christ has given me a heart to help and a heart to serve. Right? He's unbound my hands to do, go and do things for his kingdom. And it says his legs were tied up and bound. You know, you can't walk with Christ if you're still bound to sin. Lazarus was able to walk because they cut those wrappings from around his feet. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you, you want to follow Christ, but you're still struggling in some area of your life. And I love it. They, they uncovered his face. He could see again. I know when I came to faith that my vision changed. My, my actual vision is still bad. I've been wearing these glasses since second grade. But the way I saw the world was different. The way I saw people and the way I looked at issues and the way that, that, that I wanted to, to live my life, it all changed when I came to Christ. And finally, Lazarus became a visible witness. We say around here a lot, go and be the church. And sometimes I think, okay, how do I do that at Navrosky's after, after at lunch today? How do I be the church does that mean I pray for my dinner? You know, what does that mean? Uh, but today, I'm going to tell you that you don't have to think what that means. What that means today is you go help somebody. Go hug someone that's hurting. Go love someone. Every, a lot of these homes that we've gone into, we get reports through Facebook and different things of, man, this changed my life. Uh, so many people have said, I was disillusioned with the church you know, I never wanted to go back to church again. I think I'm going to start going back now. Why? Because we went and tore out their muck. All right? You have an opportunity to go and be the church that you've probably never had in your life before. There's so much need. All right? And so I'm going to say to you uh, at the end, go and be the church. And that's what that means. Go help your family. Go help your friends. Go help your neighbors. You will have opportunities to share Jesus while doing that. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for even the, the hard times. I'm, I'm still struggling to get here, but I'm trying to rejoice in suffering, Lord. I'm trying to get where you want me to be. To rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. I haven't honestly attained to that spiritual maturity yet, Lord, but thank you. I'm trying to get there. And I pray for those who are with me. All of us are there. Lord, if this time in our life brings you glory and honor, I pray that we just bask in that, that we rejoice in it. I pray that many lives are, are yielded to Christ during this time, that there's many who bow their hearts and bow their knees to you as Lord, who have never done so. Lord, if there's someone in this room right now who has never trusted Jesus with their life, 
for salvation, for new life, uh, for purpose, for all the things that come with a relationship with Christ. I pray that they would seek out someone else, seek me out or seek our pastoral staff or the person sitting beside them and just ask them, what, what is it about Jesus? How can I know him? And I pray for the continued efforts of all the church globally that are trying to serve the hurting and the oppressed. Lord, I pray that you will just uh, fill them with your spirit as they go out. I pray for those traveling here and those who are working and, and everyone connected with us. It would just be uh, glorified. Uh, they would be bringing glory to you uh, through their actions. In Christ's name, amen.